Your identity is your sense of who you are. It's made up of everything that you identify with. Your identity has a structure and it has content. So the structure of your identity is what it's made up of structurally, which is also how it works. So the structure is how you identify with the things that you identify with. And then the content are the kinds of things that you identify with. Like, so for example, things like beliefs and social roles and your personal story. And I'll talk all about those, but first I wanna give a little bit more background on the structure. So William James talked about identity as being made up of two parts, the I and the me. And so according to James, the me is the collection of things that we think about as belonging to us and being ours, like our physical body, our arms, our legs, or our possessions, like our clothes or our bed, but also things like our relationships and our successes and our failures or our suffering and our joy and all of our memories. Like meaning that all of those things are a part of the collection of things that we think about as belonging to me or being mine. And so according to James, the I thinks about all these me's or the minds, and the I includes them all in your sense of self or your sense of who you are. So for example, the I says, all these memories of me at age five uh, and all these memories of me at age 25, uh, they may look like different me's and technically they are different, right? But they all belong, they belong to the same I. So meaning like, even though you're kind of a different person in each of those memories, you're still technically the same person. You're the person that has those memories. And so according to James, the I also has the responsibility of giving each me a feeling of warmth. All right, so think about a memory of a childhood pet and feel the warmth that comes with that memory, like the warmth in your heart that comes when you think of them. But now think of a story that you've been told about yourself from your childhood, like one that you don't have a memory of. So I don't know, maybe some cute story, right, about you in the bathtub. And you know that the story is about you, but you don't feel the warmth that you feel when you think about the memory of a childhood pet. And there's no sense of warmth because it's not your memory. It's just a story about you. It's not your story. So super simple one sentence summary, identity according to James is made up of the I and the me. And the I is the thinker and the me is all the stuff that the I thinks about. So then there's identity content. And so content includes all the things that you identify with. And of all the things that we identify with, one of the biggest and most obvious are our social roles. And Eric Erickson is someone who talks about social roles. And Erickson said that we're not born who we are, but that our identity is the result of a developmental process. And the idea is that we try on social roles until we find a sense of identity that's like perfectly fitted for us. So one of my favorite summaries that I've heard for what a social role is, uh, is actually that it's all the answers that you can come up with to the Cheshire Cat's question to Alice in Alice in Wonderland. You remember that? Cheshire Cat asks Alice, who are you? All right, so let's say, for example, we ask grown-up Alice, who are you? And grown-up Alice says, 
I'm a partnered mother researcher, part-time firefighting yoga instructor. So each one of those is a social role. And each one of those is a choice that Alice made. It may have started as an interest, like being a yoga instructor, or maybe it was a lifelong dream, like being a mom or a researcher. But each one is something that Alice had to work at in order to become, meaning that Alice wasn't born any of those things, but Alice became those things through Alice's own hard work and effort over time and through a developmental process. To say just a little bit more about social roles or social identities, they're kind of like outfits. So for example, there's the firefighter outfit and we try on that outfit to see how it feels for us, how well it fits our sense of who we are. And if we like the outfit, then we keep it. And then someone asks, who are you? We say, we're a firefighter. And then we wear that outfit until it doesn't fit right or doesn't feel right anymore. So yeah, our identity content includes social roles and a super simple one sentence summary is that your social roles are all the answers that you can come up with to the Cheshire Cats question, who are you? And in our example, Grown Up Alice identified, oh, who am I? Well, I'm a partnered mother researcher, part-time firefighting yoga instructor, which means that all of those things are a part of Alice's identity that all of those are a part of Alice's sense of self or what it means to Alice to be Alice. There are also ways of thinking about identity that are like more modern, like personal brand. And so to say just a little bit about it, personal brand is basically the image that you present to the world. So not so much the social roles you fill, like being a researcher, or a stamp collector, but the personal style that you bring when filling those roles like your personality, your appearance and communication style, as well as things about you, like your values and beliefs, things that influence your choices about the roles you fill, as well as the style that you bring to those roles. So for example, if you value being a nice person, then being a nice person is going to be a part of the style that you bring to being that yoga instructor. And you're going to be a yoga instructor in the way that a nice person would be a yoga instructor in whatever that means to you in that context. So, for example, maybe it's uh, leaving the door open for students who are getting up in, to open the door for uh, students who come after class has started, because that's just a part of your sense of what it means to be nice. And that's something about the way that you approach uh, teaching yoga. But so, yeah, so that's personal brand. And so then also part of our identity content, in addition to uh, social roles and personal brand and our structure is our beliefs. And we all have a lot of beliefs, everything from politics to religion to your morals. And if it's not clear how beliefs are a part of someone's identity, just challenge what someone believes and see how they respond. Like often folks will respond as if you had challenged them directly. Sometimes they'll even be aggressive or like ready for a fight. And that's because our beliefs are a part of our sense of who we are. We also have beliefs about people. And our beliefs about people basically determine the nature of our relationship. 
And this is most obvious in our social roles. So imagine that you go shopping for a new outfit, a pair of pants, right? And you head into the store. And so you're in one social role and the sales clerk is in another social role. And you and the sales clerk interact in a way that is determined based on the social roles that each of you are fulfilling. So the sales clerk has the social role of being the sales clerk and you have the social role of being a shopper. And you each have expectations or beliefs for what that role looks like, your role and the other person's role, right? So here's the tricky part is that none of y'all ever actually engage. Y'all just engage with your beliefs about the role that you're playing. So you engage with your beliefs about your role and their role, and they engage with their beliefs about their role and your role. At first glance, it might seem less obvious how our beliefs determine our identity in more intimate social roles, like with family. But a good example there with family is one where you find yourself being triggered due to something that the other person is saying or doing, because being triggered is like entering a mini social role or like a social role within a social role. Meaning, so when you're triggered, you're not allowed to you when you're triggered you've allowed yourself to engage with this mini social role and in that moment you're not being you and you're not interacting with the other person like your mini social role is interacting with their mini social role and of all the beliefs that we have how we think about ourselves that determines our relationship with everything else. So for example, if we believe that we're good enough or worthy of good things, then we draw good things. And when good things appear, we're able to enjoy them. But if we believe that we're not good enough or not worthy, then even when good things fall into our lap, we either don't recognize them as being good things or we make them go away meaning that we wind up sabotaging the situation. And so what that means is that if we want to change our relationship with anything, we have to change our beliefs about that thing, and we have to change our beliefs about ourselves. And it's a lot harder to change our beliefs about ourselves than our beliefs about a thing. So how do we do that? How do we change our beliefs about ourselves? Another way to think about this question is, how do we develop flexibility in our identity? If we really want to tackle a belief, especially a core belief about something like I'm not worthy, it's not enough to just go with the belief. You have to address the belief at the level of the identity system. And the best way to do that is by working with our stories. So our stories, of all the things that we identify with, one of the biggest are our stories. And our stories are just that, meaning the stories that we tell ourselves and others about who we are. So if you've ever written a personal statement or just met someone and gotten to know them and told them about you, that's your story. So going back to the Cheshire Cat's question to Alice and Alice in Wonderland, who are you? And we said, just for example, that Grown-Up Alice would say, 
We're a partnered mother researcher, part-time firefighting yoga instructor. So each one of those could be an I am statement, right? I am a mother, I am a researcher, I am a... And so when each one of those is also a social role or a social identity. And if Alice were to add to that, so we're originally from the English countryside, but now we live in London and we're a partnered mother researcher, firefighting yoga instructor. That's basically a rough draft of Alice's personal story. And the rest of Alice's identity is made up of all the other things that we identify with, like our thoughts and our feelings and our beliefs. But the story is what holds them all together. And it does that not just for communicating to others about who we are, but for communicating to ourselves who we are. If you've ever been through any kind of major life transition, like a marriage or a divorce, or even just search for a new job, then you've worked on your story. So for example, let's say you're applying to be a checkout clerk and you have to speak to your relevant experience. So that means putting together your relevant experiences based on your story. And so you're revising your story. You're drafting a story of your personal relevant experience. And we do the same kind of review and revision of our personal story when we're dating or the revisions that we need to do to our story after we get married or a relationship ends. And so sometimes it's really obvious that we need to revise our story because there's some major life event but you don't have to wait for a major life event to revise your story. In fact, you wanna revise your story anytime that revising your story will help you to live your best life. So just like you wouldn't go on a first date and tell the story about how you really messed up other relationships and you wouldn't go on a job interview and talk about how you messed up in previous jobs and you wouldn't do that because you wanna present yourself in a positive light. And so you refine your story to serve you. And so again, we wanna do that with how we present. We wanna refine our stories about how we present ourselves. We wanna do that with respect to what we present to others, but we also wanna do that with respect to what we do, uh, how we present our stories to ourselves. And we wanna do that because if we don't, then we can walk around with these ideas, something like, I'm not good enough, right? And so if you walk around all day long thinking that you're not good enough, you're gonna have this mindset that you're not good enough then that's the story. And that's the story that you tell yourself. And that story holds together all of your thoughts and your feelings and your beliefs, and it influences them all. And so if you think that you're not good enough, you're never going to be able to draw good things and enjoy them because how we think about ourselves determines our relationship with everything else. So we work with our stories because ultimately our story includes all of our beliefs and thoughts and feelings and our social roles, like everything that we identify with, everything streams together into the story. And so if we wanna change something that we identify with, like our beliefs about ourselves, we do that by developing what's called flexibility in our identity. And the way that we do that is by developing flexibility in our story. Okay, so before I continue, I feel the need to say that most folks really underestimate themselves and their own potential. But if you're here right now, you're probably looking for something more. 
you have the sense that there is more waiting for you out there in the world, but also here within you. And if you're like most folks, what you're really looking for deep down is to be as big as you really are. And the way to be as big as you really are, no matter who you are or where you're from, it's always the same. And it begins by developing flexibility in your identity. So identity flexibility, when you boil it all down, is about freedom. Like with identity flexibility, we're able to choose our beliefs about ourselves, which sets us free to choose who we want to be, which sets us free to be as big as we really are. And for most folks, that's about being way bigger than we even think we can be, because you are. So to help with developing flexibility in y'all's identity, I created a full-length exercise that I published a few weeks ago, and there's a link in the uh, notes below. And that exercise is designed to bring you all the way to enlightenment, which means it's designed to maximize your freedom. So when you're ready, if y'all definitely want to check that out. But so that you can try it out, I made just a super quick summary version of the full exercise. So go ahead and grab a pen and paper or your phone or your computer, or just something to jot a couple of words down with. So go ahead and press pause now and go grab something to take some notes with. Okay, so I want you to pick the most important person in your life. Like the nature of the relationship doesn't matter. Just if I say who is the most important person in your life, who comes to mind? Like Use them. Now, I've had the question from some folks who weren't sure who they should pick. Like, for example, one person reached out saying that they thought they should pick one person as the most important person because of social pressure, but that someone else was actually the most important person, that that was the relationship that they enjoyed the most and that came to mind. And so I told them that the second one was definitely the relationship that they wanted to use. So once you've selected your most important person, then we're going to pick a memory for that person. So I'll use Alice as an example. So Alice identified one of their important relationships or their most important social roles as being a mom. And Alice is a 12-year-old who identifies female. And Alice has a favorite memory of their daughter from many years ago. And it was just Alice's daughter and Alice on one particular day having the time of their lives outside after the rain and there was a rainbow and they all had muck boots on and they decided to make mud pies. And there was this one moment where Alice's daughter looked over her shoulder at her mother and Alice will never forget the smile on their daughter's face. And so that is the memory that if Alice really wanted to remember a core memory of Alice's daughter, that is the memory that Alice would bring to mind. Okay, so now it's y'all's turn. So we're gonna find a memory for your most important relationship that y'all picked. And it can be a current or a distant memory. And it can be a big deal memory, like a special event, but it can also just be whatever comes to mind, like what y'all see most often with them. And then once you have that memory, pick two or three words that describe that memory, like to help bring that memory to mind. So for example, Alice would pick rainy day to remember their day. Okay, so let's pause now and find a memory for the most important relationship that y'all picked. When you find a memory, pick two or three words to use for describing and recalling it and then write those down. Okay, press pause now and do that.
Okay, so now that y'all have found a memory and picked two or three words for recalling that memory, next we're gonna practice visualizing the memory. And we'll use the two to three word prompt to bring up the memory. So for example, Alice's prompt was rainy day to bring to mind playing in the mud with their daughter. So Alice would say rainy day to bring up that memory. And then Alice would visualize that memory, thinking about making mud pies with their daughter. And Alice would really focus on that one moment where their daughter looked over their, her shoulder at her mother and the smile on their daughter's face and the joy that Alice felt. So right now, look at the words that you left to recall a memory for y'all's most important relationship and use those words to bring that memory up. Meaning in your mind, go back to that day. So where were y'all? And where were y'all sitting and how were y'all standing and what were y'all wearing and how did y'all's clothes feel? How did y'all feel? And what were the sights and the sounds and the smells of the room? And for anything that you don't remember, if it was a long time ago, or if it's just some generalized memory, it doesn't really matter. All that matters is that you're able to come up with enough detail to make it real, to really picture the memory, like a movie or like a photograph, but you're in it. And for more generalized memories, you can use someone's PJs or their favorite t-shirt. And you wanna try and feel your spot on the couch underneath you. Like the exact specifics of all the details doesn't matter. Just having enough detail to make it feel real. Okay, so go ahead and hit pause now and take a minute or two to just sit in the memory and just marinate in it. And I'll be here when y'all are ready. Okay, so now that y'all have practiced using the prompts to recall and really visualize your memory, Next, we're going to practice letting go of the memory and not just letting go of the memory, but letting go of the part of us who is that relationship. And so this part is challenging for just about anyone. You're basically going to play around with the idea that this person is gone and that you're no longer your favorite social identity. I know this exercise is not easy, but just trust me. That when you can be comfortable playing around with the idea that you no longer are some social identity that's really important to you, like being a spouse or being a parent, that is flexibility in your identity. And with identity flexibility, we're able to choose our beliefs about ourselves, which sets us free to choose who we want to be, which sets us free to be as big as we really are. And for most folks, that's about being way bigger than we even think we can be, because you are. So when your mind fights and says, I don't wanna do this, just say, I know, I know, but it's just an exercise. And it's, it's just an exercise. Okay, so for example, Alice would bring up the wonderful memory that they have of making mud pies with their daughter and the smile on their daughter's face and the joy that Alice felt in their heart. And Alice would embrace that memory for just a moment, would let it wash over. And then Alice would let it go as if Alice had awoken from a lovely dream. And Alice would then say, I am no longer a mother. And then Alice would feel that loss. 
and Alice would grieve the loss of their daughter because even if it was just a dream, it felt so real. And to grieve here means to really feel the loss, to feel the aching in your chest and the emptiness in the pit of the stomach. It can be helpful to bring to mind someone knocking on the door or a phone call, letting y'all know that these folks, this person, that they're not coming back, that you're not going to see them again. And just to sit with that and wrestle with that and the feelings that that brings up. And again, most likely your mind is going to fight. And when your mind fights, you just say, I know, I know, but it's okay. It's just an exercise. Okay, so first we'll all do this together and then y'all will do it again on y'all's own. So look now at the two to three word memory prompt for your most important relationship that y'all picked and bring up that memory and bring up that memory in its richest form meaning with all of its sights and sounds and smells and feelings and just bring it all up and just marinate in the moment. So take a minute now with me to just sit with that memory. I'm going to pause for about 15 seconds while y'all take a moment to just sit with your memory. All right. So when you're ready, go ahead and bring it up in its richest form. And now say, I am or we are no longer a mother, a daughter, a sister, or whatever that significant relationship was. And while the focus seems like it's on the loss of them, and yes, of course, I mean, it is, they're gone, but our focus is on how y'all are no longer a mother, a spouse, a sister, a best friend, or whatever that significant relationship was. So it's not Alice saying, my daughter is not coming home again, but it's Alice saying, my daughter is not coming home again, and then sitting with and grappling with, I am no longer a mother. And so that's what y'all want to practice feeling is that you're no longer a mother, a spouse, a sister, a best friend, that you've been robbed of that significant relationship. And so now we'll do this again on our own. So go ahead and hit pause now and take a minute or two to wrestle with the idea that you're no longer a mother, a spouse, a sister, a best friend or whatever that significant social role was. Like just allow yourself to have the experience and then allow yourself to grieve the loss of that social role, which is your most important social identity. I'll be here when y'all are ready. Okay. That is a super quick version of the extended exercise for developing identity flexibility. This exercise is not easy, but if you can do it, it will help to create flexibility in your identity. 
And with identity flexibility, we're able to choose our beliefs about ourselves, which sets us free to choose who we want to be, which sets us free to be as big as we really are. And for most folks, that's about being way bigger than we even think we can be. Because you are. So this week we walked through an exercise for creating flexibility in your identity. And it, it's a very powerful exercise and you may find yourself overwhelmed by it. If that's the case, just remind yourself that it's just an exercise and head into it anyway. Because I know this exercise is not easy, but again, just trust me that when you can be comfortable playing around with the idea that you are no longer some social identity that's really important to you, like being a spouse or being a parent, that is flexibility in your identity. And with identity flexibility, we're able to choose our beliefs about ourselves, which sets us free to choose to be who we wanna be, which sets us free to be as big as we really are. And for most folks, that's about being way bigger than we even think we can be. Because you are. And that was what I wanted to share today. If you enjoyed this, please hit like so that it makes it easier for others to find it. And please leave a comment. And if you give the exercise a whirl, I would be so very grateful for any feedback. You can leave feedback in the comments or you can email me at kate at katetbenson.com. If y'all are curious about me, you can learn more and sign up for my newsletter at kate-t-benson.com. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kate T. Benson or subscribe on YouTube. Thank you so much for your time. I see you. I appreciate you. Until next time. Namaste.